The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, welcome to the Chronic Podcast special interview edition as the Saints get ready for training camp 2013. I'm your host, Ralph Marlborough. And we are joined by a very special guest, Reed Gilbert of the SaintsWin.com blog. He wrote a book. Of, it's it's fantastic. It's of bread and circuses. The the story of Bounty Gate and the, and the 2012 New Orleans Saints. And I, I can't recommend it highly enough. And he's taking some time to join us. And Reed, I just want to say the the thing that surprised me most reading the book, which it's fantastic. He just chronicle. You lay out everything in, in really good detail, and the thing that I like that you did in the book is you, you would lay out a detail that happened further down the line, but you would tie it back, and you'd be like, hey, this happened, but it, it's, it's, it's really important later, but I'm going to tell you why it's really important now. So you kind of – it's really easy to follow along, and I, I think if you're a Saints fan, look, you, we're tired of Bounty Gate, but for Saints fans, it, read this book during training camp and then put it behind you, but it gives you – a deeper understanding. I mean, I learned a lot reading this book. Read what in, in, in putting this book together and doing the research again, did you find out about Bounty Gate that even surprised you or you didn't know? Well, the main, one of the main things that I kind of came to, and it's, you know, it's really just speculation and stuff, but uh, was about Sean Payton's contract um, you know, we kind of found out late in the year in November of 2012 that Peyton's contract that he had signed in September 2011 had been voided or never approved by the NFL. And, you know, as I went back through, you know, I was going through Bounty Gates chronology and looking at it, I was trying to fit that in. Like, how does this fit in? You know, is it just a random event or does it fit into the puzzle? Because, you, you know, you who knows how often – NFL head coaches contract extensions get voided and don't get approved. And so that seemed like a really odd circumstance, especially in light of everything that was going on. And so to me, when I tried to, when I started to tie that in, that was something that I looked at that, Hey, maybe, you know, bounty gate. I mean, I know it probably people probably think it's cuckoo to say this or kind of conspiracy theory ish, but you know, maybe bounty gate had been set up a lot farther in advance than, you know, what the NFL's official line was, which was Cerullo in November 2011, which kind of set it in motion again. Um, but maybe by Peyton's contract being voided in September of 2011 or never being uh, accepted, that Bounty Gate was kind of already in motion then. Um, and, you know, who knows if that's actually the case, but that was one of the unique thoughts that struck me as I went through and, and, you know, was writing a book. Well, I mean, and 
that's an interesting point, and, and we'll get to that in a, in a little bit about sort of maybe what the NFL tried to accomplish and that sort of thing. But what do you think? I mean, as I talk to, I feel like Saints fans know a great deal about Bonnie Gate, but the rest of NFL fans don't. And yeah. you know, the thing I love about this book is when people give me shit at work and stuff, I can just say, you know what? If Bonnie Gate was so horrible and so real, I, I throw out the stat at him that you said they're talking about four plays of 3,000 that the Saints defense allegedly did over three years. And where's this video? Every NFL game is taped. And believe me, if they had video of a Saints player injuring another NFL player yeah, and they right. could prove that it was tied to Bounty Gate, they'd have broke that down, that film down, read on ESPN like the Zapruder film. Okay. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, and that's that, that's sort of the basis of it. That's the, the, the thing that you can always nail it down to. It's like, okay, if the Saints were injuring players, who did they ever injure? And if they were doing it over three years, just show us on film who was maliciously injured. And then through all the evidence you gathered, show us the documentation that verifies a financial transaction for an illegal hit. But, you know, we never saw any of that. And we never saw any of that because it doesn't exist. <laughs> It was but, just sort of a ghost. Yeah, but what what sort of – what do you think even Saints fans don't understand or don't know about Bounty Gate? Like if you talk to the average the, the average Saints fan or even the hardcore one, what, what do you think that they don't really grasp or understand about Bounty Gate? Is there, is there, is there certain things that, to you that stick out? Well, maybe uh, culpability. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people who may – and, you know, this is justifiable and understandable for Saints fans who haven't delved into the minutia of Bounty Gate and maybe get a lot of their information from your standard media reports. But, you know, the Saints, in, in, in some ways, you can view them as being um, – culpable for Goodell not being on their side and Goodell wanting to get after him. But and I think people sort of conflate or confuse that with the Saints being culpable for the end result, which they weren't. You know, what Goodell ultimately accuses the Saints of doing and punishes them for, they, ne they never did. Now, the Saints may have been culpable for alienating and pissing off Goodell <laughs> over the years. Um, and I think a lot of people say, well, you know, if, if they hadn't pissed Goodell off, he wouldn't have done it. But you know, that doesn't mean that what he accused the Saints of doing, they actually did. Because to me, in my opinion anyway, you know, they didn't. Yeah, and that, the thing is, and the thing that I loved about your book is, is you is you really lay it out in, in, in a chronological order, obviously. But it also becomes where the NFL really came really strong out of the gate. And they had mm -hmm. this this announcement. And they and – they, played it like it was evidence and the media was like oh it's evidence and it wasn't and it's sort of but the, the thing is it sort of teetered off and as you looked at this book the one thing i i kept thinking was god if he could interview if he had interviews of people that yeah. that would make this book even greater if you could have interviewed one person that either on the record or off the record that would have been really interesting to you or got you deeper into Bounty Gate, who would that person be? Oh, uh, Demaris Smith, the really? executive, yeah, the NFLPA, just because I think he won. Um, I mean, that's a great question. I actually thought about that. I'm like, who, you know, who would be able to provide me 
you know, the real information. And I think him for a couple of reasons. One, he's an attorney. Um, so he probably has a real deep understanding of the processes in play and the collective bargaining agreement and the legality behind all of it. But also he's battled the NFL over different issues. So he probably has a certain type of mindset where he could provide a lot of context for where the NFL is coming from with this. Because Bounty, I mean, Rob, you remember Bounty Gate just, it just fucking came out of nowhere. He did. You know? I was at a wedding. I was at a wedding yeah. and I was, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he, he I, it's funny that you asked that because I thought about that. And, I'm, you know, he seemed to me to be the person that would, you know, obviously he has access to a lot of the information or eventually he did transcripts and, and all that stuff. But I always felt like, you know, he, he would be able to provide sort of a, an amount of context and a unique perspective that maybe a lot of the other people uh, wouldn't be able to provide. His was I guess his interactions would have been broad enough. Yeah, I mean, and the interesting thing, and I, and I know people that listen to podcasts are going to say you say this all the time, but I, I... this is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my! Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. I feel like the, the strange thing with Bountygate was, look, I understand why certain media people are going to not push the NFL hard. I mean, ESPN's got yeah. billions of dollars invested in them. They're not going to push the NFL hard or yeah, even, sure. you know, SI because they're sort of tied to NBC, but Florio did. Yeah. But my question to you is, you know, the Saints, they had to know early on they're like it's Cirillo, it's this and it, and and they had to have facts that really could have helped them in the in public opinion. And I feel like for whatever reason they didn't really leak it through anonymous sources, even to the Times-Picayune or Jeff, maybe Jeff Duncan or, you, you know, people would be critical of them. But I feel like the Saints held a lot, held a lot back where you would have expected Reed to, to see a thing on even pro football talk where Mike Florio is like, the Saints would have been like, we'll talk to him because he'll give us a fair shake and we'll lay out some dirt on Cirillo. We'll lay out some dirt on this. We'll lay out some dirt on that. And it never really came out until much, much later. Do you have a theory as to why that maybe didn't happen? Well, I think uh, to me, yeah, I mean, I don't have a theory, but I have an opinion. I mean, I think 
especially Tom Benson, who was at that point once Bounty Gate unfolded, where you know everything's going to kind of be run through him now because you know Benson is probably a detached owner and removed from a lot of the operations. And now that all this stuff is coming down, yeah. maybe a lot of the stuff is getting routed through him or at least big decision making. Yeah. And I, and I think Benson maybe just didn't really have an understanding of what was happening and what went on, which kind of lends credence to. Uh, him hiring Louis Free later on, you know, to give him some answers. And, you know, an, a, another guy had pointed this out. I don't want to steal this as my idea because I took it from him. I don't, I don't really know his name. I know him from Twitter. His name is <laughs> Stephen D. something. Yeah. But he had speculated that, and I'm not to go off on a tangent about Louis Free, but he had speculated, it was a really good point, that Benson had hired Free to sort of get the, the Saints uh, – security personnel and department back into order um, after Jeffrey Santini had left after the Viking and thing, because Santini, you know, he was a guy for Viking and they left. And then maybe the Saint security department was sort of in disarray and being run by lawyers. And so this guy, Steven had speculated that, Hey, you know, maybe free has come in to help Benson set this up again. But to answer your question, I think maybe, you know, organizationally in some ways, there was a little bit of disarray and mm-hmm. an uncertainty of what was truth and what was a distortion and what was just an outright lie. And that's why, you know, it took a while for there maybe to be some sort of organizational pushback. And, you know, the first like documented organizational pushback that we really see from the Saints is in August. And yeah. That's from Benson. I mean, my, my, my theory was, Goodell had Sean Payton by the nutsack and Vit and said, I don't want any pushback. Don't yeah. you be don't you be leaking to the media. I'll know it. I'll find it. I don't want anonymous sources coming out of your building saying this, this and this and that. And Sean, he says if he says that to Sean Payton, let's say let's speculate. It's fun. Uh, if he says that to Sean Payton, read Sean Payton, you best best believe in his before he he this goes away from the Saints, will say, look, no leaking. My ass is on the line. Mm-hmm. Do not leak. Do not anonymous source. Shut it down. And if he gave that order, you know, because it just it, – it, it always struck me that people criticize the New Orleans media. But – and you can, you can pick certain people that you don't like. But a guy like Mike Triplett, let's say, if the Saints would have came to him in mm-hmm. – right after in, – in March – about Cirillo and dirt on Cirillo and things that would have been very helpful to the Saints, Mike Triplett wouldn't have turned them down. He no, would have no wrote that because he'd be he'd be thinking this is a great story. This is going to get me traffic on Nola.com. Who oh by the way Nola.com is up my ass to be on Twitter to post all the time. This will be great for me. He's not going to turn that down. And it just it always seemed to me strange, Reed, that they just the Saints never really pushed hard and. According to you, I mean, like the thing, Mike Cirillo, I didn't know about the whole the Saints offered after he said his girlfriend was in an accident in Oklahoma. The Saints were like, hey, man, we'll fly you on Benson's private jet. Yeah. And he was like, no. Yeah, that was, you know, that's Vit. That was, that was part of Vit's testimony where Vit sort of documented each of these different occurrences where Cerullo is gone from the team. And according to Vit's testimony, anyway, there's always just like these sort of absurd 
pretextual excuses for why Cerullo is not with the team. Now, remember, the season, this is the 2009 season, it's a 16-week season, right? I mean, it's the NFL season is not long. It's 16, 17, whatever, 20 weeks when you start getting in the playoffs. This dude was gone four weeks, and he keeps coming up with these silly excuses. And so I, I think, apparently, from the transcripts, is that, yeah, it's a, like Vid is bluffing him. He's like, oh, you, your fiancé died in a plane crash here? Come on, we're going to get, uh, or in a car crash, we're going to get in Tom Benson's plane. We're going to go there tonight. I'm, I'm coming pick you up. And he's like, no, oh, no, I don't want to, you know, and he just, and he puts him off because, you know, apparently he's lying to him. Well, the thing about people, I mean, I think general fans get this now because of the NFL being such a huge animal and the coaches work. I mean, in the NFL, the only time, the only way you miss time is if somebody dies. And even then, it's most likely that that person is going to be on the sideline. Like, not to be really morbid, but they could have a Saints coach have his wife die on a Tuesday. And, Reed, I would bet you a week's pay yeah. that he's going to be on the sideline on Sunday. Hey, that happened to Mike Zimmerman, right? Yeah. Zimmerman, yeah. he's the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, right? I think that exact scenario happened. Yeah. His wife dropped dead on a Wednesday. He coached on Sunday. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying that what he did was right. I'm not saying what he did is wrong. I'm just telling you the way the culture and 99.9% of coaches in the NFL react and do. That's just that's yeah. just what they do. Yes, the reality, you know? of it, no doubt. And Cirillo was, I mean, he was a he was a flake. I mean, it, explain to people if they don't know the whole Cirillo. Because you laid it out to me, and I didn't know it exactly that. Lay out his leak and how he contacted the NFL. And I was surprised, Reed, how upfront he was of, like, I hate the fucking Saints. I want to get them. And the NFL was like, come on down, Mike. Come on yeah. down. Well, we we want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I think the whole Cerullo angle and, you know, for, for the NFL, Cerullo is sort of the opening of their story. He's the reason. You know, if you believe the NFL's yeah. official line, okay – the whole bounty thing was put to bed. It was dead. It was in the archives. And then in November of 2011, supposedly, Cerullo emails him with what the NFL calls a, quote, significant new incredible information that establishes what Goodell calls in October of 2012 a pervasive bounty program. And let me say, it was a, basically what it was was a horrible, horrible email that if I was at work and sent it, I would be ashamed of it. It was so yeah. grammatically bad. Yeah, it was like a third grader. <laughs> But so he sends that in November 2011. But the the deal with Cerullo, which is really, I, I never can put it together, and a lot of it just seems really flimsy to me. Is okay, Cerullo? He's fired by the Saints in April of 2010. Okay, now he doesn't surface again, at least according to the NFL story. He didn't really surface again until November of 2011. So that's a 17-month gap. And according to the NFL, it takes him until November 2011 that he comes to him with what they call information that establishes a bounty program over three seasons. Now, of course, Ralph, some of this is it's complete. Some of that is complete bullshit. Cerullo is gone. He's not even with the team during the 2010 or 2011 seasons. So the idea that he has some sort of credible or significant or any type of information about anything related to the saints is just to me it makes no sense i mean this dude doesn't know what type of 
fucking Gatorade they're drinking, much less have information that establishes, you know, what Goodell continues to call a pervasive bounty program. So that, to me, always made it seem like, eh, you know, this thing doesn't really hinge on what Cerullo did. This thing was probably already in play, and they're just using Cerullo to sort of front their story. But but that's what they say, that in November 2011, he sends us cracked out email that says he's got information and he wants to get back into the league because he says he's been blackballed by Peyton and Greg Williams. And that's what they say reopens the bounty investigation, which ultimately a few months later results in the Saints being historically punished. But that never really – that doesn't – I'm very skeptical of that, obviously. Yeah, it just – I mean the the thing with him – it just seemed that he was so uncreditable. And yeah. the NFL, did, I thought, did a really good job of sort of hiding him or at yeah. least keeping him under wraps. Because I feel like if this would have been – if this would have been covered like a normal – let's say this is covered – not to compare it to a murder or – but if it's if ESPN covers Bounty Gate, Right out the shoot, like they covered Aaron Hernandez's yeah, murder right. trial, they would have had an outside the lines on Mike Cirillo, and everybody been would have been like, "What the hell? This yeah. is a joke." But for whatever reason, he sort of he he sort of laid low, and I could never understand, and I still can't. I mean, we we posited some theories. I just cannot understand why he never. It never came out sooner what sort of a crackpot he was. Yeah, well, I mean that's a good point because you know we really don't we really didn't find out that he was their source for you know it took several months. Now there was some speculation and the guy Alan Donis, uh, you know who had written a book by written a book on the Saints a couple of years back and who I think blogs at SportsNoir.com. Now he had gone on the radio and and speculated that you know, maybe a month or so after, but it was never really officially confirmed until some legal documents uh, were filed. And then we don't end up seeing Cerullo's declaration until, you know, what turns out is like a week after Vilma sues uh, Goodell. They get some of his words on record, which, of course, a lot of them turn out to be outright lies. But you're right. They did. They shielded him. And part of the reason, of course, they shielded him is because they knew he was not credible at all. And when people see this, they're going to call bullshit on it, and it's going to, you know, destroy the legitimacy of what they're trying to accuse the Saints of. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like the whole the 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 thing with Bounty Gate that the details of it, I, I the thing that I don't understand quite is. I feel like Roger Goodell, they handled it as far as there, and they handled it beautifully out the gate because they made everybody think they had a ton of evidence. But it sort of petered out. And the thing that I don't understand, Gilbert, and maybe you can you can give me your theory or whatever. I didn't. I never quite understood why Goodell felt the need to sort of overreach and drop the bomb on Sean Payton for a year and Vit for six games and Vilma for a year, which that really did him in because to me. Reed, if he goes out and he says, this is terrible, this is the worst thing ever, I'm suspending everybody for a month. The month's suspension for Sean Payton would have been unprecedented for a right. head coach. If yeah. he had done everybody for a month, Vilma would have been pissed off. We're, we're, all the players would have been pissed off. But 
they'd have been pissed off, but I don't think they'd have gotten lawyers. I think they'd have got this sucks and this is wrong, but I'm just going to eat it because when you add in attorney fees, it probably comes out about the same. So I don't so I don't understand why he what he gained by doing this dramatic overreach. I'm I'm glad you said that. A couple things. Okay, number one, I totally agree with you. You know, if Goodell just kind of goes a little bit easier, even on the players, because you know the coaches they they're screwed anyway. Their dicks are in the wind. They are totally <laughs> dependent on Goodell. So if he just goes a little bit easier on the players, it's not going to blow up in his face. And like, I totally agree with you that they'll just eat it and say, you know, fuck it, let's just take it. It's a couple of games. We'll play. I'm not going to stretch this thing out. But he put he painted them into a corner. He put them in a position where they didn't have any other choice but to go nuclear and fight back on it because what's the worst that's going to happen? But to answer your question or to connect it, you know, it was to me, you know, there's two things that sort of hang over Bounty Gate, that hang over all the details and everything else. There's two issues. Okay, one issue is sort of the is the concussion deal. Okay, we don't need we can talk about that later. But you know, the <laughs> concussion deal in the league making a statement of protecting player safety, whatever. But the other issue that hangs over this is, in my opinion, is that Roger Goodell's sort of overwhelming desire to just hammer and punish the Peyton-led Saints for what he sees as a series of transgressions over consecutive, you know, over multiple years. And he deems the Saints worthy of punishment for continuing to do things, showing up late to media day at the Super Bowl, Peyton having to be coaxed to go to the po- the the you know the post Super Bowl press conference, Mike Ornstein milling around the program, the Viking thing, Brad Childress complaining to the league that there was a bounty on Favre, the Saints not being cooperative with NFL security. You know, there's all these sort of little events that have accumulated, and you know, Goodell to me, I mean, this is just me. Let me let me play dime store psychologist for a second here. You know, Goodell to me seems like a guy who is very insecure and doesn't have a lot of confidence in himself. And now he's in a position of sort of ultimate authority over the NFL, this billion-dollar enterprise. And he's got Loomis and Sean Payton for what he sees as years. They're just like wagging their dicks at him, you know, not respecting his authority over the course of – over the course of many years. And so all these, to me, all these sort of insecurities he has, this sort of reinforces it and dredges him up. And so his way to to banish that is to forcefully respond by punishing the saints. And that's why the punishments, like you said, they always felt like extremely personal and that he went overboard with it. And to me, that's why he did it because he was punishing the saints, not for anything that was related to bounty gate, not for injuring players because they weren't doing that. But it was for all these other things that maybe, and I'm not sure about this, but maybe he didn't have jurisdiction to punish him for the Viking and scandal. Or maybe he couldn't punish him. You know, people laugh Goodell off the laugh him out of the out of his job if he tried to punish Peyton for, you know, violating the media policy or whatever. So to me, that's why you know, Goodell goes after the Saints because of all these different things that have happened over the years. And he says, hey, you're going to respect my authority and I'm going to show you who's boss. Yeah, I mean, and the thing about Goodell is if you've read uh, profiles of him, he has this sort of – He in college, he would like turn in people that would – weren't supposed to be drinking he would like turn he would turn them in on the honor code like he's that he's that guy like that's that's in that's in him 
And I mean, I, I really think there's a, there's a sense of him. He, like you said, he feels that the Saints wrong and he wants to correct it. But the thing I don't understand, Reed, and we can get into the concussion stuff is, you know, this whole bounty gate, it has done it has done nothing to clean up the NFL. It's it's like the, you're talking about a different topic. It it has done nothing to make the NFL safer. It doesn't protect them in the concussion lawsuit at all, unless yeah. I'm a lawyer and I'm missing it. So, what did the NFL? What did Bounty Gate accomplish? Well, I think what they were hoping for to accomplish was to just alter perception. I mean, it's definitely not going to alter the reality of the game. I mean, if you want to get violence, you you can't get violence out of football. Violence is inherent to football. I mean, people are going to get hurt. And, you know, if you if you read any of the concussion data, I mean, a, a lot of the, the medical research and evidence will, will tell you that a lot of the concussive uh, blows come from just you know, these basic things where the linemen are just slamming into each other, and it's not from these violent hits. So, you know, from for what Bounty Gate accomplished from altering the reality of football is nothing, but what it aimed to me to alter was the perception of how the NFL approached taking an active role in protecting the safety of its players. Because, look, I mean, that's what the, that's what the lawsuits are about. The lawsuits, which there are multiple thousands of, are these former players accusing the NFL of being negligent of taking an active role in protecting their health. And so what Bounty Gate is just a rebuttal to that. Is the NFL saying, look, we have evidence that somebody was doing something mean to our players, (laughs) and we're going to take an active role in in policing that, and we're going to punish harshly even the coach who, you know, and remember at the time – Peyton had won more games than any other head coach in the in the past three seasons, 09, 10, 11. So you say we're gonna this is a marquee coach and we're gonna banish him for a year to prove our point that we care about player safety. And it was just, you know, it's just a it's just a, it's just a PR statement, uh, is is basic is basically what it amounted to. It it amounted to the NFL trying to alter the dialogue in the public domain that no football is not violent. And no, the NFL is not negligent to the violence is as a result of not football, but as a result of this isolated set of uh, villains and rogues. And here now the NFL is doing something about it. So that's what it was all about to me. Yeah. The interesting thing was when you when you laid it out and it gets to the end and, and Tagliaboo is is overseeing it. That's when it gets really interesting because, you know, the Saints sort of didn't have a chance to sort of lay out their case or say, you know, that guy's full of full of shit or that's that. But the Paul Tagliabue stuff, I mean, the, the testimony of Vit just reading yeah, it's, it. It's just hilarious. I mean, he's like, he reads the text message from Greg Williams. who Basically, Greg Williams texted him and was like, they're going to, all the teams are telling me to just take it get thrown under the bus because like 25 teams are doing this. Um, yeah. And at the end of the text message, it's fuck me. Um, <laughs> so, but the thing of the, explain how Paul Tagliabue basically, I don't know how to put this. He gave Roger Goodell a, a giant fuck you. You're completely wrong, but he covered for him in the same sense. Well, Ex- yeah, I mean, and, and that's kind of what, you know, 
Tagliabue sort of strikes a line. I mean, to me, the most important thing, and obviously I'm going to think this because I'm a Saints fan, but the most the most important thing to take away from what Tagliabue did is he didn't hold the players responsible for anything. He completely let them walk free. And so that action right there speaks louder than anything else that, that happened. I mean, people can look at the, the details and the minutia of his ruling, and I mean, I mean, shit, I did it in the book and, you know, break it down, but... That to me, all that stuff is all is, is just secondary. The main thing to take away from it is that Tagliabue lets all of these players go and doesn't hold them accountable for anything. And I'm gonna I'm go back and answer your question about how he sort of lets Goodell skirt on it. But let me say this first. You know, a, a lot of the interpretation out there as it relates to Tagliabue, and I, I really find this to be a really fucking stupid interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the interpretation is that Tagliabue just let the players go. Um, because Bounty Gate had become a pain in the ass of the league, and he just wanted to put it to bed. I'm sure you probably heard this interpretation. Yeah. It's all over the place, and this is just nonsensical, and it's nonsensical for two reasons. Number one, if you take that interpretation that Tagliabue is just letting the players walk to put this thing to bed for the league because it's a pain in the ass, you know, you're calling into question Tagliabue's professional integrity. Tagliabue has a legal duty. I mean, he has a duty under the law to preside over the witness testimony, review all the evidence, and issue, you know, a ruling that is objective and based on the facts, not a ruling that is in favor of one of the two parties involved. So, you know, what what people are saying when they take that interpretation, what they're tacitly saying is that Tagliabue is a guy that would shirk his legal duties. He doesn't seem like that type of guy to me. So that's one thing, one reason that interpretation is dumb. The other reason the inter- that interpretation is dumb is that the NFL, you think about the NFL, okay? Dude, they find these dudes if their fucking socks aren't pulled yeah, up high enough. That is true. Five grand, by the right? way. Right? So, you, so you're going to tell me that they have all this evidence that the Saints engage in this malicious activity, but because the Saints players fought back so valiantly, the NFL is just going to capitulate and let them go, which is just complete nonsense. So anyway, you know, people take that interpretation. I always have found that ridiculous. But, you know, the main thing to take away from the Tagliabue ruling is that he didn't hold him responsible, and it's because there was no reason to. But he also can't totally sell Goodell out because I think if he does, it gives legs to Vilma's defamation suit. And so the the way Tagliabue sort of positions it deftly is that, okay, the Saints didn't, he he holds, what Tagliabue does is he says the Saints were responsible for kind of, you know, lack of institutional control in promoting an environment that could have caused injury, even though it didn't, and not adhering to the league's protocols on player safety and violating paper performance provisions, which are by the book illegal, even though he admits in there that it's systemic to the league and that the previous instances of teams being disciplined for paper performance were dealt with by minimal fines or no discipline that Goodell overreached, but he did it for a reason. And, you know, Tagliabue's reason is that Goodell was trying to change the culture. He just didn't go about it the right way. And t- that's kind of the way he lets him off. But, yeah, it's it's, it's interesting with Goodell and, and, and Tagliabue. Uh, lay out the sort of Vilma's whole part in this because I because I feel like Vilma, if he hadn't have done what he did, a lot of this wouldn't have come to light. And I'm I with feel, you, man. 
and and his he he made the exact right hire on attorney oh, yeah. of attorney and sort of lay out how Ginsburg and and Vilma sort of really moved the train not necessarily in the Saints' favor but definitely in Vilma and the players' favor. Yeah, well, well one of one of the things that Vilma was really smart in hiring uh, Ginsburg is that Ginsburg right he's got a history of battle in the NFL. He battled him. I don't know if it was on star caps or uh, maybe some other issues, but he's battled the NFL in court before. So he's not going into dealing with the league and Goodell blind. He's ready for the fight. So he knows what he's in for. So that's a smart move by Vilma. But, you know, the other thing is that Vilma's like, okay, if you're going to accuse me of this, then obviously back it up with some data and not just some words. And, you know, it's like sort of a typical bully scenario. It was like, Goodell shoves Vilma into the corner and Vilma punches him back. It's like, I'm going to sue your ass for def- defamation. Now, you know, if you would listen, you know, and I, I talked to talk to or interacted with different attorneys d- during you know, the process of Bounty Gate. And I think a lot of them were like, man, eh, the defamation case probably doesn't have much, doesn't have a lot of legs, but it has some chance. We probably doesn't have a great chance. But what that did is that forced the NFL to back down a little bit. And I think, you know, this is probably a better question for an attorney. Um, I think part of that helped it get into federal court, which, you know, moved the NFL out of the confines of their own CBA process in at least the, the defamation thing and then the, the players challenging uh, the arbitration process as it relates to the CBA those two things combined got in the federal court in front of Judge Berrigan and kind of put it on a neutral footing where, you know, you have a federal judge now who's looking at Goodell and questioning them and, you know, kind of like, slow your fucking roll, dude. We're, we're going to actually see what's happening here. And that allows a lot of the information to start to come to light. Yeah. And also, too, remember this. And this was this was always, you know, this I, I give credit to my mom here. She always said, you know, the reason why Goodell is so afraid of that defamation suit is he doesn't want to get deposed. When you get deposed, everything is fair game yeah. when you're 12. I mean, ask Paula Dean if getting deposed <laughs> might not be the worst thing in your life. OK, yeah. Paula Dean got burned at the state. I'm not going to get into that, but she, they basically said, hey, you know. Did you use the N word back in like 1982 when you were at a bus stop? You know, and yeah, they can ask right. Dell, but so all the concussion stuff when you know they can get they could get into it all. So I really think that petrified the NFL and sure. then got them to sort of slow down and at least yeah. not be the railroad that they were on. Definitely, because it's not it's not worth the fight. And like you said, every everything is fair game. And when you're in the NFL and you're a 10 billion dollar a year corporation okay you know what you got to do in america to be able to make 10 billion dollars in a year as a corporation you got to do some shit that the american public will probably find pretty fucking repulsive so you don't want all that stuff spilling out into the public domain so you know i'm sure the nfl is like yeah we we probably should slow our roll maybe not be worth the fight that we started yeah and you know the thing with with bounty gate is fujita got totally exonerated which uh is really interesting to me. And, you know, the evidence, I think, another thing that surprised me is how little 
evidence the NFL really submitted when it really counted to Tagliabue <laughs> yeah. and, and in court. They talked a big, huge game, but like under their breath, explain if you can, if you can, you know, I hate to do it off the top of your head, but big pieces of evidence that people, I think, regular fans sort of take as fact that the NFL didn't even submit. Yeah, well, all the all the bounty ledger stuff, which they said, hey, we have this, you know, the bounty ledger, which details all the payments. They never submitted that. All the stuff with Hargrove and the pay me my money and his his declaration, you know, that's when, when, when Mary Jo White comes in and she says, and she sort of confirms this declaration that Hargrove gives that says, okay, Hargrove admitted to the program. Well, actually, in Hargrove's declaration, he denies the existence of it. And she says he admits it. Well, they never admit any, but the NFL like leaks this stuff and presents it as evidence as bolstering their case. But then they don't submit and they don't submit any of that stuff. You know, they initially had accused the Saints, like in the actual fucking memo, of putting a bounty on Aaron Rodgers and Cam Newton and Kurt Warner. None of that stuff gets submitted into any type of official evidence um, when that comes out. I mean, then you have all the other like the testimony from Peyton, the whole ducks in a row bullshit that they say is indicative of him covering up the bounty program. But none of that stuff ever makes its way. It's all just sort of trumped up hearsay that the league has just, you know, stagecraft kind of. They've just invented it and hope that it'll go away and people will take their words for it. Yeah, and I think they couldn't even connect what sh- – they couldn't even – connect what should have been a smoking gun if even 30% of what the NFL alleged was true. When you have the soundbite, pay me my money, during the NFC Championship game, that one really kind of scared me because I was like, wow, if they're saying that on the sideline, maybe it's all true. But to me, if even 30% of what the NFL said was true, Reed, they would have been able to connect the dots, and they just couldn't. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things I, I, I put down in the, in the book, um, and I hadn't said it a lot, but what's you know, meaningful to me is that the sequence, okay? Just think about the sequence, is that what the NFL accuses the Saints of doing, of paying each other to injure other, to target and then pay each other to injure other players. The league never came forward just one sequence that said, this player got injured, this was the Saints player who injured him, and this is the payment that that Saints player received. There's never that sequence. They don't. They, they never show us any of that. There's no confirmation. And the reason they don't, Ralph, is because I mean, it 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 doesn't exist. If it existed, we would know about it and we would see it. But it doesn't. And the league's inability to do that explains the reasoning why they never wanted to share any evidence and why they tried to hide it and show it because they didn't really have anything to. To share. I mean, yeah. in the stuff that they submit, most of it's nonsense anyway. It's just stupid ass PowerPoint presentations with a bunch of bullshit on it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If they'd have had it, and we said it before, if they'd have had an injury to that they could point to really easily, it would have been on. It would have been the lead on the national news at 5:30, and it'd have been that's Roman, that's safety Roman Harper, and he's killing brandon jacobs let's look at the video where he kills brandon jacobs goes to celebrate and they have a ledger that he got eight grand the next tuesday like it would have all came together and they'd have they'd have beat 
they'd have beat it into the ground. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, the only play that we saw was just the one hit on Favre, the high-low hit on Favre from the NFC Championship game. And granted, that's a brutal hit, but you know, it's not indicative of a three-year program the Saints paying to injure other players. I mean, and that's what the league hoped to accomplish. They would just try to show that over and over and over again and make people, you know, think that that one little isolated incident was indicative of something much larger. And that's why, like you referenced, you know, and I, I went and calculated every defensive play the Saints had. How long did that played. take? Well, not that long. You just go to the play-by-play. Um, you know, if you go to the, like, box scores and stuff, you can you, you can – sort of reverse engineer it pretty easily. But, you know, you go see how many plays that they played and then how many they're accused of injuring people. It's just minuscule. It's just, it's, it's almost, you know, it's almost non-existent. Yeah, I mean, final thought on Bounty Gate, and then we'll get to some more fun stuff on the 2013 season, is what's the, what's the damage done to the Saints? I wrote, and it's one of my, one of my proudest moments because I get so few things right. I said right after Bounty Gate, I was like, this is horrible. This is going to damage the Saints. As we knew them, the 2011 Saints that were 13-3 and and lost to San Francisco, they're gone and they might be buried forever. How much damage has Bounty Gate done with the year off, the draft picks gone? How much damage has it done to the Saints? And will it, in your mind, really reduce their chances to get another Lombardi trophy while Drew Brees is the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you're right on. I mean, and that's what that's what hurt. I mean, especially on the heels of the loss in San Francisco is that Saints team. I mean, you know, without going off in a different direction to me, you know, that 2011 team, even though they didn't win at all, I, I can't imagine the Saints ever having a better team than that. And so it really hurt to lose that game. And then on the heels of that, to lose another year in Brees' prime, having a chance to redeem themselves from that loss in San Francisco, maybe play the Super Bowl in New Orleans. That's compounded the pain from the sort of injustice of Bounty Gate in, you know, a, a year like you're like you're sort of alluding to, a year in the NFL is a long time. And you don't know yeah. how Peyton is going to respond coming back with a year off and you know the league's changed. I mean, you saw it last year with the read option stuff. Um you know, with the with Kaepernick and Robert Griffin the third and Russell Wilson and you know, that's a sort of a, a new wrinkle in the league. So you don't know how that year off is gonna impact the Saints. And that's why it hurts so bad, is because I mean, Ralph, that's the whole thing about being Saints fans, right? <laughs> like we put up with whatever and have been loyal fans forever and then finally after like forty five fucking years we we got a great team to root for and we have a chance to root a team on to win a Super Bowl. And Goodell just sort of just dismantles it right in the middle of it after Breeze has his yeah, best season know, ever. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing with Bounty Gate that I always – I hate to keep references my mom, but she, I go to all the games and she's who I go with. And she said, you know, that's what – and she didn't really follow Bonnie Gate that closely, and she hates Goodell with the fire of a thousand suns. It's it's really it's really quite fun to just mention the Goodell's name and watch a sixty year old woman just ran and rave. And it's 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 quite entertaining. But but Reed, the thing that she always said was the reason why this is so horrible. What Goodell has done is we've wait like you said we've waited our whole life. This is our chance. The Saints are probably never going to have as good a quarterback. Uh, 
again and she says in my life probably yeah. maybe for sure and maybe yeah, for your definitely. life too so this is our chance he yeah. didn't just steal some he didn't just ruin some random saint season with jim Hazlitt or ditka or whoever right. at leading right. it. This ain't 1998 yeah, yeah he stole a shot to win a super bowl and you only have so many of those and that's why it's so so awful and that's why saints fans were going to put it behind us but we're never getting over it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's really the that that's the that's the that's the lasting thing that'll that'll kind of never go away. But you know, it'll be fun to see what what Peyton's got up his sleeve now. But it's it's he's starting over, really. It is, and now that you know, with Bounty Gate and and 2013, it's 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 finally here. There, the rookies are going to camp. We're, we're we're into it now. As you look at 2013. And I, I say this to I've said this to the different guests which have Gus Cattengill and I think we had a, uh, bloggers and such from other teams. I always say, look, the, the the question for the Saints is how much of the 2013 defensive collapse meltdown, call it whatever you want, it's the worst defense in history. How much of it was Steve Spagnola, and how much of it is the players? And you give yeah. me that answer, and I can tell you how good the 2013 Saints is. That's my theory going into the season. Is it insanity? No, I'm with you. And, you know, what happened last year uh, with Spagnola, especially early on, like people kept referencing this dumbass stat from when Spagnola was defensive coordinator of the Giants. Like, well, the Giants' def- defense sucked for the first four games before they won the Super Bowl, and they came on strong. And were, you know, in their own way, just glossing over – the hideous nature of what we were witnessing early on with the Saints defense. And so I think, you know, I mean, this is the NFL, dude. You you don't get six weeks to work out the fucking kinks, man. You got to be ready to go from week one. So I think we're going to know early on, you're you're saying, you know, is it the personnel that's the issue or is it the coaching? You want it to be the coaching. I hope it's the coaching, but like uh, fellow co-host, Andrew Juge, who who does a lot of analytics, he says it's uh it's the players, and I don't want it. I want him to be wrong. He wants to be wrong. I think, you know, I think a lot of it is this personnel is terrible, yeah, and you combine well, that with bad defensive coordinator, you get 2012. Yeah, and there's 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 no question about it, and that's what Greg Williams is doing. I mean, remember Greg Williams was almost like he was like reviled after the San Francisco loss. Uh, you know, for failing to protect the lead or whatever in that game. And, and I think a lot of the reasons b- besides Greg Williams' just sort of base bravado is a lot of the reason that he was running that sort of defense he was running was to mask a, a lot of the shortcomings of the Saints personnel. And that was basically by just all-out blitzing on every every other play. Yeah, um, I didn't have a problem with I, – I mean, I, I was in the minority. I didn't have a problem with Greg Williams doing what he did against San Francisco because he did it against the Colts, and nobody bitched and complained when T- Tracy Porter went the other way. So, I mean, you live by the blitz, you die by the blitz. And and I just think – I mean, it was time for him to go. Definitely. But, I mean, he is what he is. He's he's one tri- – he he, yeah. he He's a hammer, and everything is a nail. Yeah, no, there's there's no doubt about it. The thing is with the Saints' defensive personnel this year is that it's it's made over a little bit. You know, you got Keenan Lewis. It sucks that we lost uh, Victor Butler, but you got uh, you got Keenan Lewis coming in. Um, you got Vaccaro or Vaccaro, however you pronounce it, and then you have a different defensive line there. 
with um, Cam Jordan and Hicks, and then I guess Bunkley and John Jenkins rotating in and out. So there is maybe a little bit of a refresher in talent, but to me, really the question, I know pass rush has always been an issue, but man, at the back end, the scene, the back end of the Saints, the safeties last year were just really bad, and Greer and Robinson didn't have very good year, years anyway, either, and look, you know, Robinson, is ter- Robinson is terrible. I've been, <laughs> I've been diving into football outsiders and pro football focus, <laughs> and they had the worst corners. And uh, Patrick Robinson, he was there as, as yeah. awfulness. Yeah, and look, I mean, this the, the NFL now, if you can't play pass defense, I mean, when it counts, you're fucked. <laughs> when it counts in the playoffs and you're playing a team that's got a, a good passing attack, if you can't stop the pass – I mean, you know, not every not every team has Alden Smith to rush the passer. So you can't solely rely on having some elite pass rush. You got you got to be good back in the defensive backfield. So that's the that's kind of this one of the big is the, questions. This is the stat that I saw on Football Outsiders. It blew, it read. I know I we all know the Saints' defense is atrocious. But when you really start diving in the weeds, you see stats that just Blow my mind. And this was one of them. On play action passes, the Saints, they were not only the worst defense in the NFL, they gave up 45 plays of over 15 yards. And and on those 45 plays off of play action, the average gain was 29.7 yards. That is brutal. That is brutal. If I didn't read it and you quoted it to me, I would think you were making it up. Right. And and the thing is, too, with those analytics is that a lot of these teams, probably all the teams, have some sort of analytics departments. They're crunching those numbers game by game. And so if Spagnola was not adjusting for that and these analytics guys and these other teams, they just run play action on the Saints, we're going to fucking gouge them. And Spagnola doesn't know that that's happening or doesn't see it or he couldn't respond to it properly. That's how you get a season of, you know, historic ineptitude by the Saints defense. Yeah, what what sort of and before I let you get out of here, what sort of what are you looking forward to on 2013? What do you think are you, or what are you hoping is going to be the most fun? And I'm obviously look, obviously winning is fun, but what sort of specific storyline do you look at and say, oh, that's going to be that's going to be really fun, and that might be fun to blog about, and I'm I'm really hoping this happens. Well, the fun to me, or what I'm most excited about, is sort of tracking the course of uh, of Peyton, Sean Payton, really. You know, how's he? How is he going to acclimate himself immediately? Is he going to have new? Is he going to have a new? approach you have different wrinkles and so seeing how how the year off affected them that's the that's the main storyline to me and then some other things i'm looking out for is to see how ingram reacts to me as a make or break year for ingram obviously to see uh rob ryan what he's got i'm really excited about watching jimmy graham destroy the league this year because I really believe that he is his contract year. And even in his down year last year, he was awesome. Um, but really looking forward to seeing him assuming, and hopefully he stays healthy and watching him destroy shit. And then man, the dome on September 8th against the Falcons. I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be one of those games, you know, and just that, that atmosphere and 
that's it, it be... is it is good it's going to be interesting i'm gonna I, I wonder how this i think we talked about it on the podcast i think there's like a 70 percent chance that steve gleason's going to lead him out the tunnel i oh, really man. i really do i think i think sean payton's going to go low key on that or try to but i just think i just think the card to play there if you yeah. want to just blow the roof off the dome is <laughs> is, is, is is you get um, Steve Gleason to to, yeah. to to come out the tunnel. I think that's a good that's a good point. And Peyton always has those motivational tricks up his sleeve, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, final thought as you as you head in as we head into 2013. If I said to you, Reed, you get one guy for the Saints who can have a. Uh, fantastic season and it can't be a a, a regular uh regular guy like it can't you can't say drew Brees is going to throw for six thousand yards marcus cole is going to receive two thousand who's a guy that if he has a if he has a a great season it can really change the course of things and we'll be sitting here when i have you back on the podcast and we'll we'll be sitting here in november and we'll be saying my god Player X is having a great year, and we—I didn't see it coming. And where the hell would we be without this? Who's? Well, who's... I, I would have said—I can't say it now. I would have said Victor Butler. Okay, I can't say that obviously because he's gone now. I, what I would say, maybe that—not that we didn't see it coming, but Cam Jordan. You know, if Cam Jordan sort of continues his ascent over the past two years, he's improved year over year. So if he makes a big leap this year and can be really high-end defensive end where he's 10 to 12 sacks, you know, he's stout against the run anyway. If he can morph himself into something that like a, you know, like a really good pass rusher that maybe we're not sure that he can be, if he can be that, that's going to make a huge difference for the Saints because the offense, they're going to put up enough points. Yeah. If if Cam Jordan, if he doesn't even need to, to get, he doesn't even need to get to really elite level. He just, to me, Reed, he just needs to get somewhere between last year and Will Smith's best yeah, year of 2009. Right. If he exactly. settles in there at like 11 sacks and almost a Pro Bowler, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll sign up for that right now. Yeah, I think that'll make. I think that'll make a huge difference, and I think he's the one that's got the ability to to get himself, you know, to that to that spot. So hopefully, Rob Ryan will be able to put him in a position to do that. Yeah. Well, Reed, thanks for joining us. Everybody, look, you go to his blog, saintswin.com. Buy the book. I I know you might be thinking, I don't want to talk about Bounty Gate. I want to talk about 2013, but go there, download the book on your Kindle. I think it was like like six bucks or whatever, and read it because you want to be able to understand Bounty Gate, and you want to know it in and out as a Saints fan because it's it's part of the history you want to know it in and out go there and buy this book and you'll know it and you'll be able to understand it better and read the man's blog he's funny uh he's always a, appointment reading for me on a monday when i'm trying to avoid doing work so <laughs> so read um guy thanks for joining us and we'll have you on the line and uh hopefully when we have you down the line the saints will be in, in uh, great shape and great book by the way all right man appreciate it